So welcome to those of you joining us uh, online or watching or listening later in the week. Our in-person gathering here at Pinnacle is underway, and you have um, gotten to join in with us. So you're going to hear everything that we're doing this morning from this point on, including uh, worship through song. So we're welcoming you today, and we're excited that we're all together in some way. So here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today for those in the room and those online. Um, As soon as I'm done here, Kira's going to be reading the scripture for us. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. Then we're going to respond to the word by singing, and then I'll close at our gathering. So why don't we pray together? Let's pray. God, we are so, so grateful that we can come as we are, that we can bring all of our failures, our addictions, our sin, and you welcome us with open arms. How kind are you, God? And so we just love to be in your presence. We love that this is a place that is welcoming. And uh, we just ask, Father, that you would have your way in this place and that you would help us to come with open hands and open hearts and hear your word and receive it joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. This morning, the scripture reading is Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through chapter 12, verse 12. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid the people, for they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another And him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Almost turned that on too early, huh? (laughs) Thank you, Kira. So I got to get something straight before I start here. Um, last time we gathered in this space, I told everybody to put their mind at ease because this was a, that nobody could look through these windows that they were like reflective. Um, not true. 
Not true at all. Uh, must have just been because we were setting up and it was dark in here and that woman was at the perfect angle. But when I went out and checked the same angle through those, I was like, oh, look, they do reflect, which also explains why the guy who works here when he was walking around, I was like, it's kind of cool too that those are reflective. And he looked at me confused. All came together. I was <laughs> connecting the dots, which is the name of this series this morning. So uh, we continue connecting the dots. If you're not tracking with that, you should come join us in person sometime and then you'll understand how absurd it is that I said that those were reflective. Um, this morning, uh, the message is entitled Cornerstone. So connecting the dots of the cornerstone. Uh, this pericope um, or section of scripture begins to address uh, a theme of authority that we'll be actually addressing even more so next week. So it's kind of beginning to uh, clarify some, some struggles with authority as we continue through the text of Mark. Um, when I think of, uh, of authority, I was never really a rebellious kid growing up. Um, I did want to know why. I wanted to make sense of things. When someone told me to do something, I wanted to understand it. And uh, there was one time in particular that uh, someone told us that we weren't allowed in his yard. He said, I'm sick of it, you kids. Uh, there was like a field um, next to this guy's yard, and uh, it was attached to the church that I attended growing up. And so we would, from time, uh, from time to time, shoot off model rockets, the ones that have the parachutes, and they, the wind would kind of blow, and they would land in his backyard. And so we would run over into his yard and grab them and come back. And so he came over one day really angry and said, you need to stay off my property. It's private property. You can't come over here. I'm sick of you jumping the fence and all this stuff. And we're like, and uh, <clears throat> so I just, asked him why. I was like, well, why can't we go over there? What's the big deal? We're just, you know, we're going to get what's ours and coming back over. He said, because it's private property. I didn't think that that was a super good answer. Um, it didn't make sense to me. Um, he probably should have given other details about his property, um, which you will find out in a moment. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I have uh, something in my throat. So the, uh, at, we, we set off a rocket and sure enough, as <laughs> luck would have it, the wind came and blew this rocket over and it landed right in the middle of his yard, like smack dab right in the middle of his yard. And so we all run over and we're looking at, over the fence and we're looking at the rocket. It's <clears throat> like, I can just jump over the fence and just get the rocket. They're like, well, we're not supposed to. And I was like, yeah, but that's my rocket and I want it back. And I don't think it's a super good reason to say it's private property. So... I don't see what the big deal is. We've done it several times. So I just, I climb the fence and I hit the ground and I start walking over to this rocket as respectfully as I can, considering that it is not my yard. And uh, as I start walking across this yard, the door opens and the gentleman walks out onto his back deck. And um, with him, he has a German shepherd and he looks at me and he looks around his yard and he unclips his dog. So... Turns out it's his private property and there's a big dog back there. So that's why we shouldn't go on his yard. So this dog starts running towards me. I grab the rocket as fast as I can, start running back. I throw the rocket over the fence. I jump up on the fence. And just as I get my hands on the top of the fence, uh, the dog bites me and bites my leg and starts pulling me off the fence. And I start screaming like a newborn baby. Um, I'm like yelling and screaming and my friends are grabbing my wrists and they're trying to pull me over and I'm literally the tug of war rope and I'm like, don't let go. I just remember saying, don't let go. And uh, the dog was pretty intense, chewed right through my jeans and was whipping my leg around. It 
eventually gripped my jeans and was whipping around the way a dog would if it was kind of pulling a rope. But in my mind, it still had my leg and my flesh was tearing off. You know what I mean? Like in the moment, you're like, it's eating me. And uh, so a uh, long story short, eventually let go. I jumped over level, kind of threw my body over the fence and I laid um, in the yard like looking at my leg and um, there were some puncture wounds. It was a bummer. Um, my parents weren't super happy. Turns out I was trespassing though. So <laughs> um, the reason why I tell you that story, oh, I should also say this. Um, I'm fine. Okay. Uh, in case you didn't connect the dots there. I know some of you are like, so wait, could you ever walk again? Did he eat your leg? Yeah, no, I'm good. So, all right. Uh, the question I want to ask you as, uh, as we move through the text is, why do we sometimes do the opposite of what we know we should? Why do we sometimes do the opposite of what we know we should? I want to submit to you that we sometimes do the opposite of what we know we should because in that moment, in that moment, we're blinded by what we want. We're blinded by what we want. That's why sometimes we do what we know we shouldn't is because in that moment, we're blinded by what we want. Think about it for a second because we've all done this. Even if, if you are a rebellious person, you have definitely done this. If you're not a typical rebellious person, the fact is as a human being, you have done this. We have all done it. It's a humanity issue. We struggle with what we want, being blinded by what we want. In that moment, we are so convinced, and and I would even submit deceived, into believing that something or someone is going to deliver on what we think we want and need, so that we actually do the opposite of what we know we should. It is so frustrating if you've ever been in that moment. I, I remember laying in the grass and being like, why did I jump the fence? Why wouldn't I just go to the door and say, hey, a rocket landed in your yard. Could you please get it for me? After like the hundredth time of him doing that, he probably would have been like, how about you just jump the fence and get it yourself? But instead, I, I did what I knew I shouldn't do. That, that knowledge and tension is what today's text is actually addressing. Now, if you weren't with us last week online, it's important to realize that today's text takes place on the heels of Jesus clearing the temple. He goes in and there's people that are money changers that are making profit off of people that are trying to give at the temple. There are sacrifices that are being sold and it's actually pushing people out of the outer court and so people are limited as to how they can even engage in relationship with God and Jesus is furious about this. He flips the tables in the temple. He speaks against what they're doing and the people's hearts are moved but the religious leaders are really frustrated because it affects their pocketbook. It affects their perception of authority. He's just cleared the temple and so there's increasing tension and aggression from religious leaders towards Jesus. They're basically thinking, where do you get off coming in to where we run the place, into our temple and flipping our tables? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are messing up with our lives, interfering with our way of life? What makes you think you have the right to correct us? Kind of sounds familiar, right? Have you ever wondered, I know that I have, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is in fact the son of God, why is he rejected by so many people? 
Why wouldn't the people that are the religious leaders that are completely informed, why aren't they just realizing, oh my gosh, why aren't they connecting the dots and saying, oh, well, clearly you're the son of God and falling at his feet. Why is he disliked? I mean, he always has been disliked by a large portion of society. And even to this day, there's a lot of people that reject Jesus. Why? Why is that? Let's read verse 27 through 28 of chapter 11. It says, they came again to Jerusalem and they came again to Jerusalem and he was walking in the temple. This is Jesus. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Where do you get off? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They want to know what authority do you have to do these things? So Here's the answer to the question I just posed. Why people reject Jesus? Because moral authority offends sinners. Moral authority offends sinners. You don't get to tell me what's right and wrong. Why would you have the right to to tell me something about my life? Moral authority offends sinners. And as humans, we are all sinners. So obviously... On some level, we all have been or are currently offended by the gospel. Listen, the gospel is offensive. When when we are challenged to relinquish the authority of our lives as humans, we immediately consider, what will it cost us? What will it cost us? That's where our mind goes. What is it that I need to stop doing? Oh, I don't want to stop having fun. I don't want to stop doing those things. Being a Christian or a church girl, it's too hard. I've got to give up too much. It's a wrong perception. It's a wrong thought. But it makes sense if you're thinking and struggling around the idea of authority. God, where do you get off flipping the tables of my life? Who do you think you are messing with my money, God? You don't get to tell me what to do with my stuff. You don't get to tell me to to do what I can and can't do. I mean, if something is fun or I choose to do it, I mean, God, after all, who do you think you are? I'm the authority in my house, right? (laughs) I mean, we're compelled. Don't get me wrong. If you've been in any... Christian circles, if you've been exposed to to church at all for any amount of time, and I know that there's a mixture of people with us, not only in the room, but even gathering online or listening later, we are compelled by the transformative, redemptive work of the cross. The idea of what it is that took place at the cross, it's compelling, but, but we're blinded by what we want. And so our lips... Sometimes our behavior, like the religious leaders, say we love God, but with our hearts and our actions, we resist his authority in our lives. Oh, no, God. I mean, we could do the church thing, God, but no, 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 no. You, you don't mess with this part of my life. You don't get to tell me how I function in relationships. You don't get to tell me how I function here. Like, who do you think you are, God? Like the line is drawn right here. I mean, come on. You can save my life and my soul and all that stuff, but don't mess with what I've earned. I mean, that's mine. I'm the authority. We are compelled by the transformative, redemptive work of the cross, but we're blinded by what we want. 
It's a human problem. I'm going to say it again. With our lips and sometimes, sometimes our behavior, when we really lean into the behavior modification, which is a trap in and of itself, like these religious leaders, we say we love God, but with our hearts and actions, we resist his authority in our lives. I had a dog growing up. His name was Macho. He was a chihuahua. He was really small, and I was around five or six years old, so he probably came up to my waist. Um, this cute little dog, and uh, he was like one of those yippy dogs. If you've never seen a chihuahua, like full grown, they're like this big. <laughs> and uh, he would run around the yard. We had him tied up to a little pine tree in our backyard, and he would bark and bark. He just always wanted to go wherever he wasn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if you've ever had a pet like that, or if you're a person like that, like he just. I want to go there. I want to go there. So we would unhook his leash and bring him there. I wouldn't, but my parents would move him like, okay, you want to go there? there you're there. He's like, now I want to go there. You know, and he would just choke himself because he would just bark and bark and want to go there, want to go there to the point where he would choke and cough. And uh, man, he just, he just wanted his freedom. No matter what, this little guy wanted his freedom. I had a cousin that came over and heard his cries for freedom and thought, you know what? I'm going to set this little guy free. And uh, so he let Macho free. And uh, we lived by a highway, and Macho ran into the road, and Macho died that day. <laughs> How's that for a story? Half the room started laughing, you sickos, and the other half was like, what? What are you, why? Listen, he's my dog. I love that dog. I was like five or six years old. I'm telling him this story. You don't have to cry for Macho, all right? This hurts my heart. Don't act like some authority in the loving of pets, all right? I'm just letting you know that's what happened. The dog died. It was hit by a state trooper on a highway, and the state trooper thought it would be helpful and healthy for me to say goodbye to my half-dead dog, and it traumatized me. So I'm just telling you the whole thing. I got some baggage over macho. So you want to feel sorry for some? Feel sorry for me, not the dead dog. Anyway, here we go. I get that it's super sad. I really do. <laughs> I don't know. I'm smiling because this room is like coming unglued. Like some of you are like, uh, this is so awkward. I can't look away, you know? <laughs> it is super sad, but I share it because we love our pets. The reason I share it is because we love our pets so much so that we exercise authority over them for their good, Right? When we go to a field where we know that it's safe for them to run free, we let them go. We let them run free, and it's amazing, and we love it, and they love it. But the minute there's danger in the area, we put them on a leash. And we, that's not some abusive thing, right? It's a responsible thing, and it's a caring thing because we love our dog, and we don't want them to run into traffic. We refrain their authority to move wherever they want. We exercise authority over them. Now, if you aren't connecting the dots it looks like we're restricting their freedom. It looks like we're restricting their freedom, but we aren't at all. We understand. We understand the situation and the animals don't, so we love them. Now, if you're beating that illustration to death too much, you're like, wait a second, so we're God's pets? No. I'm simply saying that to say, if you're a parent, how much more does this ring true? If we, we all, like I said, we all love pets that have them. If you don't love a pet and you have one, give it away, please. So we love our, our pets, but, but our children, if, if you have children, it, it's obviously a whole nother level. And yet, 
Meredith and I were youth pastors for 10 years and we would listen to teenagers be like, our parents are so mean. All they ever say is no, no. What the heck? Why do they want me to have fun? <gasps> and literally like just absolutely unglued. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, do you think your parents go to bed and like, hey, good night, babe. Hey, before we go to sleep, how do you think we could just destroy our kid's life tomorrow? Great question. What if we create an environment that restricts them, not for their own safety, not because we love them, but because we have nothing better to do with our one and only lives than to destroy theirs? But here's the deal. We've all been or we are teenagers in the room. We, the pain is real. The struggle is real. We know the tension of like, well, maybe they do want to destroy me. You know, maybe just maybe it is their goal. I mean, I think I saw them smirk when they said no. Maybe, maybe your parents love you enough or loved you enough to put boundaries, to give some boundaries, to, to say, listen, we're going to limit your freedom not to control you, but to exercise authority over you because our perspective is different than yours. We know what you don't know and we love you desperately. I love you desperately. And so the answer is no. I know you don't understand. And I know you're storming away, but man, I love you. As if our goal was to restrict their life. But no, listen, we have to be in a position of authority in order to understand what authority actually is. What I mean is this. We understand authority when we are the ones in authority. I didn't understand the dynamic of parenting fully until I was parenting. And I was like, oh my gosh, I sound kind of like my parents. I mean, nicer, better looking, smarter. Oh gosh, my parents were probably watching. Anyway, the fact is we understand authority when we are the ones in authority because our perspective is different. God is our heavenly father and loves you desperately and has a perspective that you simply do not have. You are not God. Sorry. Your spouse already knew it. Your parents already knew it. Like, you're not God. But he is your heavenly father, and he wants you to live life to the fullest. Scripture says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he loves you in spite of that. Think about that for a second, because we know the wickedness of our own thoughts, like the things that we don't even tell people, the things that only we know that we're concerned when we go into surgery that maybe we might say while we're waking up. <laughs> only me? All right. Anyway, the fact is there, there's a part of us that we know is like, if anybody ever really knew the real us, they couldn't possibly love us because we're way too selfish. We're way, we're way too wicked. We're, we're way too self-centered. Like... But God knows that, and he loves you desperately. All too often, we're blinded by what we want, and it informs our actions. We just focus on what we can't have. We strive for it, as if our one and only life is about what we can gather in this world. Who cares? My gosh, like how much stuff do you need before you realize it won't fill the hole? Like it's fun until it's old and then it's the bigger thing or the, the newer thing. 
It never ends. And if you're still playing that game, it just means you haven't gotten enough stuff to realize that enough stuff never delivers. It just doesn't. And in this text, we have a a level of hostility towards the authority of God on display because they don't want Jesus limiting their freedom to get power and authority and anything else they want. The religious leaders are us. And that's us. That's where we live. That's our zip code right there. But God, I want it to turn out this way. But God, I don't understand why you're doing it this way. I mean, after all, aren't I in charge here? Jesus ultimately responds with what's considered a judgment parable. Verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, And he began, meaning Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. This is Jesus speaking. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Now, this was pretty typical, so I want, I want you to understand the context so you can track with what it is that the religious leaders are tracking with as Jesus is saying this. It was typical in their day that there would be large estates that would be owned by absentee landowners and local farmers would function as tenants to take care of the land for them. So this would make a lot of sense to the people listening. And now this parable is somewhat rare though because Jesus doesn't typically speak allegorically. And if you're like, allegoric, what? Like, is that an SAT word? (laughs) Allegorically simply means that there's uh, symbolic fictional figures that are used to act out truths, all right? It's not typical, but it makes sense in this passage in particular because he's connecting this parable to what's called Isaiah's Song of the Vineyard. And it's Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven. He's connecting it to an Old Testament text that these religious leaders would be very familiar with. They would know Isaiah potentially by memory. And so they would would know exactly what he's talking about as he starts to connect these dots to Isaiah chapter 5. Be very familiar to them. And in fact, if you've been part of Centerway from its inception, it should be familiar to you as well. In fact, that exact pericope, uh, Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7, was preached on by Eric Hamlin on August 25th. 2019. The series was Tried in Truth, and the title was Fruitfulness. I did that completely from memory. (laughs) Anyway, Isaiah um, was allegorical in his passage, and so Jesus is referencing it, and so as a result, he's allegorical with them. The religious leaders would have known that the vineyard in that story is representative of Jerusalem and the temple. Okay, so it's important that we know that if you weren't there on August 25th of 2019. Something else that we should know in order to understand context is this. Prophets in the, in the Hebrew were called servants of God. So there's something that Jesus is correlating. He's building off of Isaiah that you might miss the depth of if you don't understand or track with him here. Is that he's talking in reference to Isaiah, which means... The, uh, the vineyard is Jerusalem and the temple, and every time he makes reference to the servants, he's actually talking about prophets. And so it brings some depth to what is he's saying. What Jesus is saying is Jerusalem and the temple was entrusted to be cared for by the tenants, which are the religious leaders. But when the owner, God, sent servants, prophets, they were beaten by the religious leaders, and some were even killed. Jesus is connecting the dots of Isaiah 5 to a point that has got to strike 
these people right between the eyes because they have just witnessed the death of John the Baptist and they sat silently by while it took place. And so verses five through seven, Jesus goes on and he says, and he sent another, meaning the landowner, but also meaning God, and they're connecting those dots. And him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So now by law, something you have to understand by culture there, by law, if there was one of these absentee landowners that would purchase property and they would entrust it to tenants and go off to a faraway land, by law, if they died, then they would say, they'd read their will, if you will, and it would say, my heir is this person. And that person by law would then become owner of that property. However, if there was no heir, then the tenants would have the right to take possession of the property. The minute that the the landowner died, if there was no heir, the tenants that were caring for the land could stick a stake in it and say, this property is ours and it's our heir's property from this moment on. That was the law. So something is, is happening right here because the tenant by law could take ownership of the vineyard. What Jesus is saying is you, religious leaders, as tenants, want to own and rule what is God's. You want to own the temple and rule Jerusalem, so much so that you'll ignore his prophets, you'll kill them, and when his son comes, the son of God, you will kill him as well. But listen, they're blinded by what they want. They want authority. They want to rule the temple. This is our place. You can't come in here and flip our tables. You can't tell us what to do and what not to do. Where do you get off? And they are almost in this moment as Jesus is speaking to them. They're almost connecting the dots, but they've got to be confused by one piece. Who's the son? Who's the son? They're not connecting the dots. They're putting everybody into place and they're saying, wait a second, but, but who is the heir? Who is the son? And verses 10 through 11, Jesus says this. Have you not read this scripture? And he quotes Psalm 118, 22 through 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And, is, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus quotes Isaiah 118, 22 through 23, and it was known at that point as messianic. It was known at that point to be attached to the Messiah, that it would be a verse that would be connected to the Son of God. And so Jesus is saying, in case you're not connecting the dots, um, religious leaders, I'm the Son of God. That's what he just said by quoting Psalm 118. He connects the dots for them Jesus is the cornerstone. This is a powerful moment in the unveiling of the messianic secret. The the idea of, of Jesus being the son of God walking amongst men. He is identifying himself unapologetically before these religious leaders that are struggling for power. He's saying, this is the way it's playing out. You are trying to push the authority of God towards yourselves so that you can be the ultimate authority of your lives. 
And I want to tell you it's a story that rings true to us today because we're them. That's us with a struggle of what it is that we want and boundaries as to how close God can get. And we want to put a stake in our own life and say, hold on a second, this is mine. I'm the authority of my own life. Jesus as the cornerstone is powerful imagery. In our society, I think we've lost perception of what a cornerstone actually is, but a cornerstone aligns everything for a building. When you place the cornerstone, it not only uh, aligns the, a sure foundation for the building to be able to support its weight, but it also makes sure that it's square, that it functions in a, a, a straight line in either direction, not only out, but also up, so that the building can be aligned in every single way, so that it can stand whatever storm comes its way. The stability and the strength of any house is connected to the stability and the strength of the cornerstone. And Jesus is saying, I am the cornerstone. I align everything. What makes this judgment parable amazing is that as we'll see in the weeks to come, it's followed by Jesus going to the cross, willingly laying down his life for those in rebellion against him. I love you so much and I want you to have life for the fullest. In fact, I'm gonna lay my life down and die the death that you deserve so you can experience the freedom, not with the temporal things that don't matter, but the eternal, lasting things. And we're so blinded by the stuff and the things we want that we are, are like the kid just slamming the door on God. We're like, you hate me. <laughs> Why do you restrict my life? Why won't you let me have fun? And we're missing it all together. We're missing it all together. Jesus dies the death that we deserve and in that moment makes us co-heirs. Co-heirs. He sets us free. The gospel sets us free. If we're just willing to connect the dots and not be blinded by the things that we want, our eyes can be open and our hearts can be awakened to the fact that Jesus sets us free. We need a cornerstone in our life that can handle the weight of our lives. Think about that. Listen, maybe your life is easy. Congrats on that. But as far as my life goes, and I think a majority of the room, there's some weight there. There's some serious storms that come. There's a lot of things that, that mess with our lives, and we need a cornerstone in our life that can handle the weight some of us, we put, we put sports as the cornerstone of our life. We put money as the cornerstone, popularity, a spouse, kids, you name it. We say, listen, that's the thing that matters. If we can just align everything, if we can align everything with this, then it'll come together. And that's the answer. I'm, I'm going to be the authority of my own life and I'm going to instill my own cornerstone. And I wanna tell you, they crumble. Those cornerstones, they crumble every time. They can't handle the weight of your life because they weren't designed to be the cornerstone of your life. So they don't deliver. They, they crumble under the weight. They crumble under the pressure. And you try to, no, 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 but trust me, if I can just get enough, then, oh my goodness, the validity and the freedom we would have, and oh man, it would be amazing. And every time, it crumbles. Verse 12 and they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. <laughs> so they left him and went away. 
what? Wait, if you're connecting the dots, if, if you're perceiving that this parable is about you, why would you not run and fall at Jesus' feet and say, I have made a mess of it. This is not my vineyard. I am not the God of my own life. I don't know where I went wrong, God. Would you forgive me? No. Instead, what did they do? They left him and went away. And we know ultimately they began to plot his death. Why? Because we don't like moral authorities in our lives. We want to be the God of our own lives. We want to run after what we want to run after. This is so troubling on so many levels. They had so much of the scripture memorized, not familiar, memorized. The religious leaders knew scripture back and forth, and yet they're so blinded by the cares of this world. How about you? Don't worry, I won't make you answer out loud because every single one of us have a level of our lives where we are establishing a cornerstone apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the reason why we need a savior. Will you submit to God's authority and the authority of scripture to align your life? Will you allow scripture to align your life? Will you be submitted to that or will you walk away? Will you fold your arms and say, huh, I perceive that there's some truth here and walk away attempting to stabilize your own cornerstone. You see, if you claim to follow Jesus, then you must connect the dots and align your life to Jesus as your cornerstone. That is where you will find purpose. That is where you will find hope and joy and life to the fullest. That is where it is found. It is found in aligning your life with Jesus as the cornerstone. Life to the fullest. We have so many areas of influence, but we often engage in those arenas and don't allow the authority of the gospel to inform them. We just... We just mail it in. We just go to work. We just go to the sporting events. We just we go through the motions. We engage in a, in a relationship. We, we go through the motions of life and we don't consider the eternal implications because we don't take a moment to align them with the cornerstone of Jesus. We don't allow the gospel to inform every area and aspect of our lives. I want to tell you, all of those things, all of the things, the sports, the money, the, all the stuff, it's all good. They're all good things but they make poor cornerstones. They're good things, but they make poor corner, cornerstones. They can't handle the weight of our lives. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so I want to ask you a question. To what area of influence will I commit to bring the clarity of the gospel? Consider the cornerstones. Consider the areas of your life that you have elevated, the things that you align your life to, and the good things that you align your life to, but they shouldn't be the cornerstone. I want you to ask yourself this question, to what area of influence? Is it work? Is it a relationship? Is it sports? Is it, I, I don't know, is it the way you deal with your finances? What area of influence will I commit to bring the clarity of the gospel. Because when you bring the gospel into the center of that which you influence, it brings clarity. And suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, this shouldn't be about me. I don't own the vineyard. I'm just, I'm a co-heir because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I was bought with a price. 
the blood of Jesus. And it allows everything to be put in perspective. And so for some of you, the response and the application that this text requires is your life. You've been living your life for yourself and you have made yourself the cornerstone. Your will, your wants, your desires, your whims, whatever. And you know, I mean, if that's you, you know what I'm talking about. Today, the application looks like surrendering. It looks like allowing the clarity of the gospel to say, all right, I need to surrender to the truth of the gospel. I wanna give my one and only life to Jesus. And if that's you and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, it's as simple as praying a prayer in the quietness of your seat or wherever you find yourself. It doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to even be these words, but something along the lines of acknowledging the fact that you're a sinner, but that Jesus died for your sin. Would he forgive you and come and be the Lord and leader of your life? God, would you be the cornerstone of my life? I surrender to you. You can pray that prayer today and we'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to talk to you about it, about what your next steps could be and what it could look like. And so if you're here, we'd love to talk to you in person. If you're watching or listening later, you can reach out to our website, look at next steps uh, page of our website, or you can email us, connect at centerwaychurch.com. We wanna walk alongside you as you discover what it is that God wants to do in and through your life. For others of us that have crossed that line of salvation, I hope, I hope you are offended on some level by the gospel. I hope it has disrupted something, that it has dislodged something that has started to take root, where you're like, uh, I wish you wouldn't have said that one. It was good, but I mean, can we talk about the dead dog again? Like, just, there's something that we all have. We don't outpace the gospel. We are all sinners that, that have to come day by day and say, God, would you lead me and direct me? Would you bring clarity to my life in the areas of influence? So for you, is it work? Is it school, sports, friendships? The gospel clarifies your priorities. What does it look like for you? For some of you, maybe that's a rhythm of your life already. And you're sitting there saying, I, I allow the, the gospel to bring clarity to my life every day. And I try to keep those things in check. So to you, I would challenge, what does it look like to be missional in those areas of influence? Maybe to, to have spiritual conversations where they're long overdue. To have something um, of, uh, of, of an act of love and service towards somebody that's in desperate need and to do it just in the name of Jesus. Like, listen, God has done so much for me. I just want to serve you and I, I'm not trying to be creepy about it. I just want to show you that, that God loves you enough to, to put you on my heart. And so here's this, whatever that this might be. Maybe it looks like being invitational. Our next in-person gathering is, is June 13th. Or you can invite people online at any point to engage with you or on their own terms. What does it look like to allow the gospel to bring clarity to your areas of influence? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we simply declare ourselves available. We ask you to flip some tables over in our lives. <laughs> come into our home and and mess up some things that for some reason we've allowed to settle too much, to maybe be a little bit too much about us, what we want, what we think we deserve. So Lord, we just, we surrender to you today. And we respond as a form of worship to sing not only songs of praise, but to ask you to realign the affections of our heart that you would be the cornerstone, that you would stabilize 
our lives, Lord. There, there's so many times that we feel like our lives are shaken. And it's because we've allowed something else to, to be that sense of stability. So we repent for that. God, we, we love you desperately. We pray that you'd help us to walk in the love you have for us and submit to your authority. We worship and adore you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Would you stand and sing with us? You know, it's very typical for us in Center Way to sing after the message, which maybe isn't typical in a lot of churches you may have been in, but this is very intentional. This, these songs will hopefully help you connect the dots and give, give words to be singing today and throughout the week um, about the message that we just heard. So would you sing with us?
confidence that we have in who we are as children of God. We know that we can trust you to come to you with open hands and open hearts because you're not an abusive parent, because you're not out trying to control us, you're just loving us. And as we surrender, we actually walk into freedom. How ironic is that? We thank you that that's the kingdom principle, that's the kingdom way. So surrender to you actually brings freedom. And so God, would you have your way? Would you be the cornerstone of our lives and show us by your Holy Spirit throughout our day as we're going about the daily things of our lives, where we're missing it, where we've put other things as the cornerstone or ourselves as the cornerstone. Would you be faithful to reveal that to us? I'm just so thankful for your word and what it does to transform us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well, we're going to just um, keep worshiping here in the room, but I want to say to those of you online, if you need prayer for anything, right now you can hit the request a prayer button and one of our hosts will answer you in a separate chat privately and we can pray with you or you can reach out via email. And for those of you in the room, uh, like I said, we're just going to keep worshiping. But we always say at Centerway, there's lots of ways to worship. It's not just singing. You can give as a form of worship. You can fellowship as a form of worship. You can serve. Um, and certainly, as you go about your spheres of influence, that as a way to worship all throughout the week. So um, you're officially dismissed. We love you guys. Thank you so much for being in the room today. It's really special. And uh, we're just going to keep singing this song if you do want to stay or if you need prayer for anything. We'll see you online next week and in person on the 13th.